about this week. Continue to read and study, even though we don't get through all of it all the time, or we might miss something that you thought was interesting. Just let us know. We're always glad to do further study and further investigation into the word of God, right? <clears throat> so we're on chapter five, Christ's second coming. And this is something, you know, that Seventh-day Adventists typically have at least heard about, and that is the small black cloud about the size of a man's hand. And what exactly is that a sign of, anyone? Christ's return. Yeah, the small black cloud coming is a sign of Christ's second coming. Uh, what differentiates it from any other small black cloud in the sky? We've seen small black clouds before, right? If not a storm, this is a good storm coming. Oh, that's a good, good thing to say. This is a good storm coming. And yeah, we do have plenty of storms. We have plenty of black clouds, but this cloud's different. What does this cloud do? What makes it different from other black it gets, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it gets bright. The dark cloud gets brighter. Exactly. Yeah, when we see black clouds, just typical black clouds, they stay black, they move away. You know, they might come our direction, but as Alvina correctly pointed out, this black cloud gets lighter and more glorious until it becomes a great cloud. And its base is a glory like consuming fire. And then what is it that's above the cloud? It's something above the cloud that makes it different also. A rainbow. Yeah. What's the rainbow doing above the cloud? We've seen rainbows before. When we see rainbows, typically they're below the clouds, right? When the sun hits it and hits the raindrops and creates the rainbows below the clouds. Uh, this rainbow is above the clouds. And this rainbow and this cloud, as we know, is a sign of Christ's second coming. And also above the clouds and the rainbow, then who also do we see? Who else is with the cloud and the rainbow? It says Jesus rides forth as a mighty conqueror. Mm -hmm. We're going to see Jesus. We'll see him coming in the clouds of glory. It says in the next paragraph, that's uh, 31.2, soon our eyes were drawn to the east. And I've always wondered about the significance of the east. You know, maybe from from where she's writing here in North America, the small black cloud will seem like it's coming from the east for some reason. But to those people across the Atlantic, maybe it'll look like it's coming from the west. I don't know. Or to the whole earth, it might seem like it's coming from the east because at this time, the whole earth is going to be able to see it, right? And that's something yeah. that we talked about in our one of our previous meetings. How is it that we're all going to be able to see Christ's second coming? And here we are on a round globe of a planet. How could we all be able to see him? But that's something that we don't have an answer to, right? Yes. He's going to make it able. So we don't know how, but he's going to make it able. Right. Able for us so, to. Um, says the bottom of the cloud appeared like fire. The rainbow was over the cloud and around it were 10,000 angels singing a most lovely song. And upon the cloud sat the son of man. Now listen at this description of the son of man. It says his hair was white and curly 
and lay on his shoulders and upon his head were many crowns. His feet had the appearance of fire in his right hand was a sharp sickle in his left a silver trumpet and it says his eyes were a flame of fire which searched his children through and through. Anything strike you about that description of, of Christ? Anything kind of jumped out at you? Yeah, that his hair is going to be really white and fired. Eyes going to be fire. It's not no particular color. Hmm. Interesting. Why does his hair being white strike you as different? Because I guess you picture him as on earth as having dark hair, dark eyes. So. Yeah, that would be a little different. Now his hair is white and curly, and it laid came down to his shoulders. And then upon his head was many crowns. His feet had the appearance of fire, and his right hand was a sharp sickle. Now, I know somebody understands what the sickle is for or what it symbolizes. What do people do with sickles? Is that, does that have something to do with the separating the wheat from the tares? Right. Mm -hmm. In olden days, they used sickles to cut down the harvest. And this is Christ coming back for the harvest. You know, we always uh, sing songs about the harvest. The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Well, at this time, Christ is coming back to separate the wheat from the tear. And people used to use a sickle to cut down the harvest of wheat. Brother Carol, I have a question. Uh -huh. I, I'm, and I may have missed it. When you talked about the rainbow, what was the symbol? What was this? You know what that symbolism. So, what does the rainbow represent? Only thing I can think of is that the, his promise that he'll destroy the earth by fire next time. Is that because I don't see an explanation for that? Okay, it's said up above that the rainbow was a symbol of his covenant, and you're right. There's been many covenants in the Bible, right? Which covenant do you think is the most enduring covenant? Or what do, what do you think, anyone? What is that rainbow? Why is it signifying a covenant and which covenant? It's a covenant that he will not destroy the earth by uh, rain again. Water. Right, he's going to destroy it by fire. Okay, interesting. Any other covenants that might mean? Anybody? The, what about the covenant? that he gave us that he would write his law upon our minds and in our hearts. Close the door, please. Okay, that's the interesting point. The uh, rainbow, as God said in the scriptures, was to declare that he would no, not destroy the world by water again. So that's what the rainbow is standing for. Although there are many covenants in the Bible you know, so again, that would be something that we can study a little further on exactly what that covenant is that he's talking about is for. So the rainbow does represent his covenant. Uh, what about the silver trumpet? What's going to happen when he blows the trumpet? This is the dead, the dead, the dead gonna rise. Dead, dead gonna rise. Shall rise. Yep, exactly. Dead in Christ shall rise move back and in Christ shall rise uh, when the trump of God sounds the dead in Christ shall rise 
And then uh, Alvina pointed out that his flame, his eyes were like a flame of fire, which searched his children through and through. So it's very interesting to see this description of Christ, his hair white and curly, head of many, has many crowns, feet the appearance of fire, the sharp sickle, silver trumpet and eyes of flame of fire. As we had studied this morning in Sabbath school, we don't have any information or any idea the things that God has prepared for us. So we would never even think of uh, that image of Christ when he comes. Uh, Alvina had mentioned that most time we see Christ with brown hair, right? Yep. And we wouldn't have thought that he would have a sickle or we might've got the trumpet from that verse about Trump shall sound. But these type of things never enter into our hearts. And that's why God gives us his prophets. He can speak through them and let us know what's coming so that we won't be shocked and left unawares, as the scripture says. And then the whole world is going to see it. For as lightning comes out of the east and shines to the west, so also shall be the coming of the Son of Man. So there is this is this second coming of Christ is no possibility of counterfeiting because it's going to be universally witnessed by the whole world. Uh, many times people do counterfeits but their counterfeits are local, you know, in this city or that city, or maybe they might do a counterfeit in one place or another. But this second coming, the true second coming will be witnessed by the entire world. And do you know that not even Satan can duplicate that? Why would that give you any kind of feeling of uh, security knowing that not Satan can duplicate my second coming? So that we won't be fooled. Mm-hmm. You think people are going to be fooled by counterfeits? They are already. There are people running around Earth right now talking about that, that Jesus Christ returned. <laughs> That's true. And then the Bible says that his tricks, his deceptions are going to be so well conceived that even the very elect, those who have studied the scriptures, those who are listening for God's voice, if it was possible, they would be fooled. So it's not going to be a cheap imitation. Sometimes you go to a, just say you go to a, uh, a play. Maybe you go to an elementary school play, do the little play, and the kids are doing their best. But you can tell this is, you know, one of the worst plays you've probably ever seen. And if your kid wasn't in it, you'd walk out. But see, I would still walk see, out. <laughs> when you see professionals do a play, it's really nice, and you would think, man, this is really true, but it's just a counterfeit. It's just a play, but Satan's deceptions are going to be so real, many people will be deceived by them, so it's nice for us to know that God's word says that the devil won't be able to counterfeit Christ's true second coming, amen, and it does give us some security. I'm on the any other thoughts on that? The counterfeiting? Paula said there's counterfeits going even now. Well, isn't Satan supposed to, to, to try to, um, to put on some big show to try to emulate the second coming? Of signs and wonders. <clears throat> and fire from yeah. heaven and all that. He's going to do miracles and all that kind of thing. Um, but it's going to be the... Uh, Seducing spirits. 
Yeah, there's going to yeah, be. But, but he's not going to be able to imitate the second coming. He's not. He's not going to be able to imitate that. But he'll do other stuff. Right. And again, God is letting us know that up front, so that when we see these counterfeits, we'll know that ah, that's fake. You know, the Bible says uh, according to prophecy, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. So the whole world is going to see this. Is not just going to be only North County can see it. You know, mm -hmm. and, um, when there was that eclipse, they had a map showing who was able to see the full eclipse. And you could see it cut a path around the world that only certain parts of the world could see the entire eclipse. But when Christ returns, everybody's going to be able to see it. Everybody on the whole planet is going to see even, it. Even people that live in caves? Of course. How would that be? Yeah, there's still people living in caves. <laughs> yeah. Well, they can see it if they come out of the cave. Just like if you don't come out of your house, you're not going to see it. Yeah. Well, with, with the um, the trumpet will sound and there will be a loud shout. I mean, everybody's going to take notice. Mm -hmm. And particularly with the dead in Christ. Yeah. If the sound's going to wake the dead, definitely the people in caves and in the house are going to come out and look. Yeah, speak up. God can do anything. Um, as far as God is concerned, if the people don't come out the house, they still can see him. Mm -hmm. They have no clue about what God will do, but he can do anything. It's going to be very amazing. That's one of the things we don't know for sure. But we could imagine. Apple juice. I think it's frozen, maybe. Okay, let's look at the uh, next paragraph, 32.2. says, Jesus returns in glory, surrounded by what? Cloud of angels. Angels, all his angels, every one of them. No one's left at the house. When Jesus <laughs> on earth, how did he go up to heaven? He went up by himself. Well, he went up by himself with the exception of those that, that whose graves were opened. Okay. Um, what did the angel standing by him say? We'll tell him, why do you he said, wonder why stand, ponder? He's coming back the same way. Yep. Mm -hmm. Jesus was taken up to heaven in a cloud and prophecy lets us know that the cloud was angels, just like he's going to return surrounded by a cloud of angels. But he didn't go with a cloudy angel. He didn't point that out. Yeah, if you read in uh, maybe Desire of Ages, when Christ was taken up to heaven, there was a cloud of angels that took him up to heaven. Oh, this wasn't okay. I got to read that. Okay. Yeah, it looked like clouds, and the angels said to them, "Why, why y'all standing gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus is going to come back, just like you saw him go." And that's one of the um, promises that. It will be Christ himself, not a counterfeit. It won't be one of the angels coming back in his place. It's going to be the very same Jesus that died on the cross coming back again for those who have kept his uh, faith. So uh, it says, with, with anthems or songs of celestial melody, the holy angels, a vast unnumbered throng, attend him on his way. The firmament seems filled with radiant forms, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. How many is that? Is that like billions? 
Can't uh, even number it. Yeah, it says no human pen can portray the scene. No mortal mind is adequate to conceive a splendor. And then it says, as the living cloud comes closer, every eye beholds the Prince of Life, Jesus. But what's different about Jesus now? Then He's what? not going to touch the earth. It's, it says and his countenance. It says, uh, now there's no crown of thorns that mar his head, but mm -hmm. a diadem of glory rests on his holy brow, and his countenance outshines the dazzling brightness of the noonday sun. Isn't that amazing? When mm -hmm. during his crucifixion, Christ was so beat up that you couldn't hardly recognize him. Mm -hmm. now, here he comes. There's no crown of thorns. He's not beat up. His countenance outshines even the brightness of the sun. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Even the brightness of the sun. Now, I can't even, when you try and look at the sun, you have to turn away. Uh, only through his grace will, be able to, will we even be able to look at him because he'll be so dazzlingly bright. The, what do you think people are going to be thinking when they see that happen? When they see him come? In yeah, in general, when the when people see the second coming, what do you think is going to be going through people's uh, minds? It depends on whether or not you're one of the righteous or one of the unrighteous. Yep. Mm -hmm. So the righteous are going to be, lo, this is our God, we have waited for him, and the unrighteous are going to be crying for the rocks to fall on them. Hmm. You think there'll be people who just don't know what's going on? Confused. No, nah, they don't know. <laughs> Why do you say that? Because they know they know this is such a great thing that never happened and they heard about it. They they gonna know. Because I think God will give them Jesus will give them truth. Like here I am. I am the truth, the way and the life, and you missed out. That's my opinion I threw it in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember reading in the spirit of prophecy that every person is going to have, well, I don't know if this is at his second coming or his third coming. I, I don't remember right now, but everyone is going to have the opportunity to see all of the chances that they had to turn from sin. That'd it's going to be, be awesome. played for them like a movie. And they're going to mm -hmm. be able to see all the opportunities that they had and their choices not to. Well, mm -hmm. the Bible does say those that are lost um, will it'll be uh, was a wailing and gnashing of teeth. I mean, that assumes some type of knowledge that you make the wrong choice. And yeah. there will be also people who they depended on their pastors to teach them. And so they're going to turn on their pastors because they didn't teach them truth. But, okay, I'm confused on that. If they were true, they, they had a chance to get true for themselves. Why would it be mad at the pastor? And are they truly not at fault, the people who depended on their pastor? I'm confused. Are they innocent of anything? Good questions. Well, I think about the second covenant and how God wrote his law in our hearts. And a Bible is available to most of the civilized world anyway, so we can read and study for ourselves. And the Bible says, watch and pray. And it says, study to show thyselves approved, a workman rightly dividing the word. So, you know, at least in the developed countries of the world, people have an opportunity to read a Bible. They have an opportunity to seek truth if that's what they want to do. And anybody that is actively seeking truth, God is not going to leave them in darkness. Okay, okay. Got it. Yeah, he says to anyone that seeks him, they will find him. Mm -hmm. Not everybody, like uh, Karen saying, not everybody has a printed Bible. 
but God speaks through nature and mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit is going to reach everyone. It wouldn't be fair, would it, if you didn't get an opportunity and then here comes the punishment. It's like uh, three strikes, you're out. Nobody told you you only got three strikes. That's not fair, is it? But God's going to make sure everybody has opportunity to accept him or not accept And the Bible says that he never does excuses. anything without warning his servants first. Yeah, there's there won't be any excuses, although like your first question, Alvina, why would they blame the pastors? Because everybody's looking for a scapegoat. Everybody's looking for somebody else to take responsibility. And as okay. pointed out, the their lives may fla will flash before their eyes. They're going to see, oh, here's where I could have accepted Christ. Here's an opportunity. Here's another opportunity. It's going to come down to each individual person has to stand for their own responsibility. You can't blame other people. And God's telling each of us now, study for yourself so that there won't be that, you know, looking for a scapegoat. He's, he wants us to find out for ourselves and to have a relationship, a personal relationship with him. None of us can depend on other people's relationships with God to save us. We have to know him for ourselves. Right. And Alvina, think of this. Um, if everyone opened their Bibles and, and sincerely studied for themselves outside of just going to church, everybody would be worshiping on the Sabbath. There'd be no Sunday churches because mm -hmm. they would get the truth for themselves instead of being, you know, following tr tradition and being fed. Yeah, but I, I, I think to some extent you may be right, but we know that the testing truth for, for the end time is going to be the Sabbath question. And that there are going to, everyone in the whole world is going to know and have an opportunity to choose the Sabbath for themselves. And some people are not. So it's not that, it's not that if they knew it, they would be worshiping on the Sabbath and there would not be any Sunday churches. That's not true because people have reprobate minds, even, and e even when they find out and know, because Jesus is not going to come back before everyone knows. Uh, but everyone is not going to be saved because they didn't choose to follow the truth. That's true. Some people know it now and reject it. So yeah, that's right. Right. I came, hey y'all, I came a couple of weeks ago. I was going by a church and this church had something, a sign talking about celebrating Halloween. Come in here, a church. I mm -hmm. said, man, I want to just take that thing down. I said, that church was wrong for that. Well, you know, I think one of the things Paula was alluding to is that history if people had studied the scriptures and allowed the holy spirit to interpret it allowed the scriptures to interpret itself then there wouldn't be all these different uh erroneous beliefs going right. on mm -hmm. and i'm i was going to continue no, that's I not what the... happened patsy I did want... you ask something okay the last part of that paragraph 32 3 says our God shall come. Oh, well, before that, the king of kings descends upon the cloud, wrapped in flaming fire. The heavens are rolled together as a scroll. The earth trembles before him, and every mountain and island is moved out of its place. So, of course, we read some of that also previously about the mountains and islands fleeing out of place, great earthquakes, you know, the fountain of the deep broken up, etc., says, our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him and shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. 
again, we mentioned about the sickle in his hand. He's coming to judge his people. Uh, the next one is 33.1. It says, on his vesture and thigh was a name written. What is the name that's written on Jesus' thigh? King of kings and Lord of lords. Yeah. Anybody know what that means? Well, it means that he's been given back the kingdoms of this world. Uh-huh. And uh, he forevermore. Forever. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? Elder Carol, I have I have a question. I said I I know we're under Jesus can clearly to be seen on uh, on the cloud, but you know I don't understand. And I said you still have some Sunday churches, or you know even people in general that keep saying it's going to be a rapture. And I'm like, God clearly states that every eye is going to see Him. So where do they get this rapture stuff from? It is supposed to be something sacred. See, I I said, God is is not a secret God. He's telling us, I'm coming back. This is what's going to happen. It's nothing sacred about that. I mean, where, you know, it's like only certain people get to know that God is not that kind of God. Hmm. Karen, what were you about to say? I was going to say that I think uh, they take it from that scripture that says two will be working in the field and one will be taken and one will not. And so Mm -hmm. they assume that that means that it's something secret, but that's not what it means at all. It simply means that some have been sealed and some have not been sealed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very true that there will be two in the field. One will be and one won't. It's just a matter of who has accepted Christ. And that is one of the biggest verses that people use uh, to believe in a secret rapture. Then again, going back to what Paula was saying about studying for yourself, if people have studied the word for themselves and allowed the Holy Spirit to lead them, instead of just following what the pastor's explaining to them, then they would recognize that that's not what it's talking about. You know, the Bible says clearly that Jesus is going to be known to everybody. And they would reject that thought, but so many people just basically follow whatever the pastor says. In fact, you've had very well-known people who's, who have been asked uh, by some of their members, uh, Pastor, what does this say about the Sabbath? Or what does this say about the state of the dead? And instead of for themselves, they take whatever the pastor says as the truth. And you got to remember, the pastors want you to stay in their church and keep returning tithe and offering. Right. offering whichever depend on which church you're in they don't want to lose membership so they'll just say uh to you whatever they feel will keep you there like you just can't believe pastor even even adventist pastors you know we're we're praying that they're telling the truth according to god's word but you better go home and study it for yourself oh i've corrected a pastor or two uh-oh. <laughs> but it does, it goes back to, like you said, Brother Carol, studying uh, uh, precept upon precept. And um, in, there's still churches today, or congregations, pastors, whomever, that be, they won't touch Daniel or Revelation. They still call them closed books. Yeah. Because they don't. You're so right. You're so right. Truth. Yeah, we all have to be careful that. You know, and I hate to say it, but sometimes it's true in our own churches. There are plenty of members who would just be happy to do whatever the pastor says. 
But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to follow the pastor as he follows Christ. He's Christ is the shepherd. The pastors are under shepherds. You know, it's like Christ is the owner of the company. The pastors are the managers. They help manage the company. So if the manager is incorrect with what they're saying, you need to go to the owner, Christ, and, say, and look in his word and see exactly what he says. You know, we just can't afford to lose salvation because we're too lazy to study for ourselves. Yeah, I, I had passed by the church and the pastor, the man when working on the sign, he happened to be the pastor and I just talked to him I, and I was telling him about the Sabbath. I said, you believe in the Sabbath? Then he said, yes, he does. He does. You know, I, I believe in it. You know, and I said, well, do you keep the Sabbath? He started stuttering and huffing. Well, no, not really. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you find a lot of that. I, I recall a guy I studied with, we were doing Bible studies and we got to the Sabbath. And uh, he had, you know, we were going right through the scriptures. He was believing that the word of God, he understood it. He believed everything till we got to Sabbath. Then all of a sudden he had to go ask his pastor about it. And I said, well, why are you going to ask your pastor about this? You've been studying God's word for yourself all this time. What makes a difference? He went and asked his pastor and the pastor told him, oh, yes, yeah, Saturday is the Sabbath. But that's the day that you do your good works on. Yeah, and I know people who have left the church who will still, um, for whatever reason, maybe a church was more popular and they started attending on Sunday, but they claim that they rest on Saturday. So, it, you know, is an excuse as if yeah, that yeah. covers it. But, um, you know, it Sunday's not hadn't been sanctified or made holy. And I've mm -hmm. also had fr uh, friends who are elders and pastors of Sunday churches and they recognize that the Bible clearly states that the Sabbath is, you know, is a holy day, a day of worship. Mm -hmm. But they get paid on Sunday. So, <laughs> but, but then some of them will come back and say, yeah, I believe that, you know, that Sabbath is, is Saturday, but um, you can keep all the days holy. And I, and I always come back with which one did God sanctify and there bless you go. and rest. There you go. It's only one he made holy. Yep. I had uh, saw a video of T.D. Jakes, which y'all know, he has thousands of people following him all around the world. And they, yeah, my niece is one. Sabbath. Yeah, they asked him about the Sabbath, and he admitted, he said, uh, yes, yeah, Saturday is the Sabbath, but my grandma went to church on Sunday, and I'm going to church on Sunday. Mm -mm. He get paid on Sunday. Your grandma ahead of Jesus. You put your grandma ahead of God's holy Bible? Okay. All he's mm -hmm. saying is he gets paid on Sunday. That's what it boils down to. There's many things in life just boil down to money. We uh, close. Mm -hmm. But yeah. you know, Elder Carol, I, I addressed that when my uh, one of my grandsons asked me, said, well, if your dad taught Sunday school for 31 years, I said that was the knowledge that he knew. Mm -hmm. I said, but when God brings you into the light and you learn I said, you have to follow the new and the true light that God gives you. And he was like, well, do you tell me all them slaves going to die? Cause I said, no, I'm saying God and those people that died that didn't know about the Sabbath or didn't get a, a, a good understanding. I said, they live by what they could. I said, and some people that couldn't read, they still followed God in all that they could do. I said, but once you learn the truth, 
it is up to you to follow God, not to rely on anything else in the past. If you know the truth and you're not following it, it's a sin. Hmm. That's a sermon right there, Patsy. Uh, the scripture does tell us in times of ignorance, like you're saying, in times of ignorance, God winks at sin, but now he commands all men to repent once you know the truth. So that's the whole point of study, the whole point of evangelism, the whole point of teaching, so that people can learn the truth and then repent and do what thus saith the Lord and not what thus saith the pastor or their grandma or whoever else they've been following. Um, now, back on the, what we were asking about King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you know, there's many kings in the world, but Jesus is the King of Kings. And there are many lords in the world, but Jesus is the Lord of lords. I think it was, uh, well, who was it? Nebuchadnezzar said that your God is the greatest God. Once he saw the power of almighty God, he said, your God is God. And that's what Jesus is saying. He is the almighty, the one true God. Uh, joy, let's go to 33.2, the joy of God's people. The revelation of his own glory in the form of humanity will bring heaven so near to men that the beauty adorning the inner temple will be seen in every soul in whom the Savior dwells. Uh, what inner temple is that talking about? What inner temple is that talking about where others will see Jesus? They should see Jesus through us. Yeah. Through the way we carry ourselves and we live. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. That inner temple is us. That Christ should be seen in everyone who claims his name as Lord and Savior. Uh, people will see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. And they'll pray. You get praise and thanksgiving from the many folks who are out doing God's will. You know, when you're out helping the poor, uh, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, those people are very thankful and very happy. And what they're doing is praising God for your kindness to them. All praise and glory does go to God, uh, not to us. We're just God's uh, uh, instruments to be used by him. So whenever someone says thanks for whatever we're doing, remember that praise goes to God, not to us as individuals. Because we were reading, I think it was in Sabbath school today, someone had mentioned that of ourselves, meaning on our own strength and our own determination, we can't do anything. Can you imagine that? It sounds simple, but that means you cannot do anything. <laughs> you can't even get on the Zoom without God's help. You can't even wake up without God's help. You can't eat Christmas dinner without God's help. You can't blink. There's nothing that we can do that God has not allowed us to do. And many times when we're out doing things, helping somebody or doing good deeds, some people get the idea that they are doing it themselves. No, no, you're not. All good things come from our Father above. That includes word, deed, actions, thoughts. Everything comes from God. So let's remember that when people are thanking us for doing something kind, remember it's only the grace of God that allows you to be kind to anyone even yourself. 
And now, you know, in the Christmas season is when people really start doing good deeds. But let me ask you this question. How come the good deeds seem to stop after Christmas? Because we're in the Christmas spirit. We're in the spirit. Everybody's in the spirit. And I guess it just changes. <laughs> and I think, too, because they see that, you know, Christ was born in Christmas, at so-called Christmas season. They feel like, well, let me show that part of Christ. But then you don't show it all year round. So why, I don't want to say they perpetrating, but why show it one day, which they consider Christmas, and you don't show it no other time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's almost, and I don't want to say they hypocriting, but it's like those people to say, "I go to church twice a week." I mean, twice a year. And you're like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> the C and E Christians, Christmas and Easter. Yeah, twice a year. Yeah, it's too bad, and and that's my question. Why does it stop after Christmas? Why does kindness and love and sharing and generosity, why does that all stop? I guess it's a show for some people. Look what I'm doing. I don't think it's because they've been converted. They just, it's just, like I said, just a spare of the moment thing instead of a relationship with God. Oh, you hit on something there, relationship. Talk a little bit more about relationship. What exactly does that mean and how is that different? And I think, too, when you were talking about people wanting the pastor to feed them the knowledge that they should be asking God to give them the wisdom, understanding, the knowledge for themselves, I think that becomes what, what I say, lazy people. Because if you're not doing nothing the other six days a week, you expect on the Sabbath for the pastor to take care of all your needs and all whatever you do. If you haven't done nothing for Christ, the, the other six days a week, then you, I, I, I don't want to say you should skip Sabbath, but you can't expect God to do something one day and you've done nothing. I mean, he expects us to be watchmen and workers for him and witnessing for him. So you just don't wait till one day when you get to church and say, and then you have them, I don't go to church or when I listen to church, the pastor, it ain't, it ain't nothing. To, it don't do nothing for me. It ain't did nothing for you because you ain't did nothing six days a week to help yourself in studying and learning. <laughs> and again, that points out what you said, relationship. Uh, all of us are adults, so I'm sure we've all had relationships. When you had a relationship with someone, did you just have that relationship once a week, once a year? How often did you have to uh, have that relationship? Every day, every moment, every minute. Exactly. If you want to cultivate a relationship with Christ, it has to be every day, every minute, every second, so that if you do have that relationship with him, then your generosity and your love and kindness don't stop on December 26. It's 365 days a year. You're allowing God to, to uh, reach people through you. And that's and of course, none of us is perfect, but that's the ideal situation is that daily we are a constant companion with a uh, companion with Christ, that each and every day he's in our hearts and minds. Each and every day he reaches out through us to reach other people. Each and every day we're in close contact with him. Constant communion with God is what a relationship is. And if you don't have that relationship, then it's only going to be during 
the season of giving or during the holiday season because everybody else is being friendly and kind. So I'm going to be friendly and kind. Even when people aren't kind to you, Christ still calls us to be kind to them. And that's showing his love to other people. We're lighthouses. And if the whole world is dark, people should still see light coming from us. You know, if you've ever seen a lighthouse, that light never goes out through all the hurricanes, through all the storms, no matter what it is, dark clouds or uh, tornadoes or whatever, that light never goes out. It's not affected by the darkness, not affected by the winds blowing because it's connected to the source. That's how we have to be as Christians. Stay connected to the source and your light will continually burn and glow. Uh, it says on 34.1, God's people are prepared for the coming of heaven for they have heaven in their hearts. If you're not preparing for heaven now, how will you ever make it? Heaven's a prepared place for prepared people. This is our opportunity to become prepared by allowing God's Holy Spirit to live and allowing him to reign through us and giving him honor and glory and not ourselves. Any other thoughts on that? Jesus being Lord of Lord and King of Kings. They that are with him are called called, chosen, and faithful. Let's go down to paragraph 35.1. 35.1. And you know, the more you study about the righteous dead and living, the clearer the picture becomes. Uh, the scripture says, now we see through a glass darkly, but then we shall see uh, face to face. We'll see Jesus even as he truly is. And a lot of these things will be clear to us then. Just like when you first join the church, there's a lot of things you don't understand, a lot of things you can't explain. Well, now as you've studied, as you continue to walk with Christ, some of those things have been cleared up for you. So um, we often talk about the righteous dead and the living. And it says, dead and living will see Jesus together. I'll show that those living when Christ should come would not go meet their Lord in advance of those who had fallen asleep in Jesus. So those living when Christ should come would not go to meet their Lord in advance of those who had fallen asleep in Jesus. What does that say about people who think their loved ones have already gone to heaven? Well, isn't that answered when he said, uh, when the horn blows or the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will rise up first and then those of us, you know, who are still living or whatever, will be caught up. Well, mm -hmm. you're, you're, um, no one has been able to answer that. As many people that believe that, you know, people die and go to heaven, and, and then I read this scripture, there's no answer for it. Yeah, there you're right. There is no answer. And again, that goes right back to what we're saying. We have to study. You can't just believe the first thing somebody says. You know, that's a lot of scam artists out there uh, just trying to trick you again, trying to get your money or take what you've earned or trying to get uh, the devils, many of the devils, people trying to lead you astray from the, the truth of God's word. But it says right there, then we which are alive and remain. So the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then those which are alive and remain in Christ will be caught up together. 
So if you're if everybody who has already died has yeah. either gone to heaven or hell, then why does Jesus need to come back? He don't need to come back if you're already in heaven, does he? And you know, right. Elder Carroll, those psychics now, they are getting they are actually feeding off people that you know, are mourning their loved ones, especially with the with the virus. I said, you see more. I mean, stuff was popping up on my on my email, and I was like, who? And then when you click on it, it's like, I can help you through your problems with your loved one that's dead. And I just I just delete all of that stuff. But I I just said it's the it's those type of people that's preying on God's people if they're not if we're not studying our words to tell them you contact them and they can let you talk to your dead loved ones, especially during the pandemic. And some people, especially people that are really hurting, they are actually clicking into these, these, these psychics. Yeah. Well, you hit on it. They hit people when they're vulnerable and right after the death of a loved one, you're really vulnerable because you're sad. Your emotions are high. You missing them. You want to see them. Uh, and they do it all again for money. They don't care about anybody's true feelings. They're just making money. And they people have exposed psychics forever and ever. And yet there are still those who believe in horoscopes, who believe in astrology, who believe in psychics, who believe in seers. You know, they believe in everything but a prophet of God. And that's just sad. It's just a sad state of uh, human affairs that people would rather believe a lie than the truth. It's just too bad. But again, those are some of the tricks that the devil uses to draw people away from Christ. That's exactly what his whole purpose is, to get us uh, to be lost like he's already lost. It's yeah. a shame. Uh, it says on um, 35.3, Jesus raises the sleeping saints to immortal life. Amid the flashing of lightning and roaring of thunder, the voice of the Son of God calls forth the sleeping saints. He looks upon the graves of the righteous and raising his hand to heaven, he cries, awake, awake, ye that sleep in the dust and arise. And then it says around the whole planet, the dead that hear shall live. Those who have accepted Christ as their savior will be risen. That's just going to be pretty amazing. And, you know, now they have movies about the zombies and all that stuff. Just another trick of the devil. So that when Christ does raise the dead, you know, the devil can still try and fool people even then to thinking that they're zombies or whatever. It's always a little bit of truth in the devil's tricks, because if he comes out with a straight lie, you will catch him. But if he fixes it with a little bit of truth in there, it's a little harder for you to catch. So, again, study scriptures line upon line, precept on precept. Don't just believe the first thing that somebody comes to tell you. It says on 35.4, no, 36, 36.1. Scroll down to that. And it says, all, this is interesting. All who come forth from their graves, the same in stature as when they entered the tomb. Adam, who stands among the risen throng, is of lofty height and majestic form and stature, but he's still a little bit uh, shorter than, G than Jesus. He presents a marked contrast to the people of later generation. And it says, in this one respect is shown the great degeneracy of the race. So it'll be like if you line everybody up from Adam all the way down to current day people, 
he's really tall. I think they said Adam was around 15 feet tall. And then it comes down to us. The average person now is around five foot eight. And that's the one, one area that you'll be able to see the impact that sin has had on human beings. But when we're changing a twinkle of, eye, of an eye, we will be made perfect the way God intended humanity to be in the first place, right? Yeah, it's going to get to that a little bit. It's very interesting. In fact, just go down to the end of that paragraph, the end of 36.1. Uh, actually, I'll just finish reading that because it hits on just what you're asking about, Paula. All arise from their last deep slumber with freshness and vigor of eternal youth. That's one big difference, right? In the beginning, man was created in the likeness of God, not only character, but form and feature. Sin defaced and almost obliterated the divine image, but Christ came to restore that which had been lost. He will change our vile bodies and fashion them like his glorious body. So we won't have all these corruption, you know, wounds and injuries and uh, crippled and all that. He's going to change us in the moment in a twinkling of an eye. And it says the mortal corruptible form, devoid of comeliness or beauty, polluted with sin, becomes perfect, beautiful, and immortal. Isn't that amazing? It says all blemishes and deformities are left in the grave. The redeemed bear the image of the Lord. Oh, how wonderful redemption long talked of, hoped for, contemplated with eager anticipation, but never fully understood. So all those blemishes that sin caused will be gone. The only thing you can see is in height from Adam down to the current day. It's very interesting uh, how that will just happen. You know, people that you've known your whole life that walked with a limp or had a deformed arm or a missing leg or whatever, all that's going to be gone. We'll be back into that perfect, glorious body that God first fashioned us with, uh, beginning with Adam and Eve. That will be amazing, won't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, triumphant shout, death, where is thy sting, O grave, where is thy victory? Death is a small, small matter, it says, to the believer, Christ is the resurrection and the life. Uh, on we're on paragraph 37 too. Uh, this morning in Sabbath school, we talked about life and death. You know, that people are afraid of death. Some people are afraid of death. Some people could care less. You know, and as Christian believers, we know that Christ is a resurrection and the life. None of us want to die. Nobody looking forward to it. But we know that God is able to raise us from the dead so that we don't have to fret so much about it. You know, and sometimes when people are getting close to death, maybe they're ill or, you know, sick or whatever, uh, they say, hey, you know, I'm ready to meet my Lord. They're not afraid to die because they trust in Jesus. But there are many people who are afraid of death and they start panicking and getting all out of control and stuff because they don't know what's waiting for them. But when we know that Jesus is waiting for us, then that gives us some comfort to know that, hey, he gave us this life and he'll raise us again when it's that time. Just something to think about. As I said, nobody's looking forward to death, but we know that the same one who created us, he can raise us back from the dead when he returns. As it says in uh, paragraph 37.3, 
To the Christian, death is just a sleep, a moment of silence and darkness. The life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Uh, we were talking earlier about, have any of you ever been in surgery and had anesthesia? Yes. Yeah, is that the same kind of sleep as when you just lay down at night? No. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, because um I, I've I've heard that anesthesia is is not real sleep and uh that you don't dream when you when you have anesthesia, but you dream in real sleep. Yeah. What'd you say, uh, Patsy, about it? I said, when I woke up, I didn't, I didn't realize I had even been to sleep, and they told me my surgery was over, and I said, really? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, and I know, I know, I must have been under at least four or five hours, but I mean, I like she said, I didn't dream nothing, I didn't feel nothing. I was just when when it kicked in, I was just out there. I mean, n nothing. I said mm -hmm. and did like I said when I when I awoke. And usually, you know, sometime when you have a dream, when you're awake, you kind of remember things in your dream. But I said, under that that medicine, you don't know nothing. Mm-hmm. Paula, what were you going to say? No, it would take an anesthesiologist to really explain, but it's supposed to be deeper than sleep. I mean, it's so deep. It, it hits different neurons or parts of the brain or something. They say it's close to death because it would have to be deeper than sleep, of course, so that you wouldn't feel the pain. If you're having open heart surgery, they cut you wide open. They spread your ribs. You don't feel that under anesthesia. Mm. That's, that's interesting. Now, of course, I've never been dead, but I, when I went under anesthesia, I was thinking that's probably what death feels like. You but know, uh, blocking no, pain receptors is not the same as natural sleep, REM sleep, though. Right. Yeah, it's different. Definitely a difference. And it says, uh, we just read, to the Christian, death is just a sleep, a moment of silence and darkness. And I was, whenever I was uh, counseling people who were sick or who were probably going to die or were actually on their deathbed, then I would pray for them. And I would realize, you know, I would tell their loved ones after the person passed away, I would tell their loved ones that, hey, you know what? The next face they're going to see is Jesus. It's just going to be like a moment of silence and darkness. And then there's Jesus. So like when you wake up from that anesthesia, you look up and there's the nurse and you wondering, what, did we start yet? Mm -hmm. The moment. It's true. Like That's true. Moment. Yeah. It's interesting. It says the voice will penetrate the graves and unbar the tombs and the dead in Christ shall rise at the Savior's resurrection. Uh, Paul had mentioned this. At the Savior's resurrection, a few graves were opened, and some people went back to heaven with him. But at his second coming, which we're all looking forward to, all the precious dead shall hear his voice and shall come forth to glorious immortal life. So that was a few people, but when he comes this next time, that's going to be asked that accepts Christ shall be raised. And there Okay, so Lee, my mm -hmm. grandson has a question. What uh -uh. about the what about the people that got cremated? Cause you Did said, you hear him? God didn't cremate him. What about people that have been cremated? 
Yes. You said they would rise up from their tombs, but they're burnt. They are, but you know, Jesus is a miracle worker and he's going to perform a miracle on them so that when they come up, they'll have a beautiful, glorious body just like he intended us to have. The life giver calls his purchased possession on his, the life giver will call up his purchased possession in his, the first resurrection. And until that triumph hour, the last trump shall sound, the vast army shall come forth to eternal victory. Every sleeping saint will be kept in safety and guarded as a precious jewel who is known to God by name, not just a group of people. God knows each of us by our names. And I want to hit this last part. Wait a minute, uh, Lee, my grandson has one other question. I didn't have a question. He says, so does that mean that God wins? <laughs> what do y'all think? Does God win? Yes. He already has. Is that your grandson, Corey? Yes. Uh -huh. yeah, Corey, he's always good for some nice, interesting questions. So, Corey, <laughs> let me ask if you ever read any of your favorite books, have you ever looked at the end of the book to see who wins? No. Yeah, well, if you look at the end of the Bible, which is God's book, he does win. What I've ever seen was it says that the battle is going to happen, but it never actually said who won. Oh, yeah. <laughs> have, have your grandparents read it with you and they can show you where... God wins. Uh, this part I want to end on uh, because we were asking about this previously, and this is in 39.1. It says, we shall know our friends. Even as the disciples knew Jesus, they may have been deformed, diseased, disfigured in mortal life, and they rise in perfect health and symmetry, even if they were cremated, yet the glorified body, their identity will be preserved. So we'll still know our family and friends and relatives and loved ones. Even though they have that glorious body, we'll still know who they are, just like they'll know us and they'll say, oh, there's Paula and there's Karen and there's Patsy and there's uh, Alvina and there's Andre and there's Corey. Our friends will still know us. Won't that be nice? Our personality, our personal identity is preserved in the resurrection. And then it says, which I thought was interesting, give us something to think about for the next time we meet on paragraph 40.1. 40.1, and this also talks about uh, what Corey had asked the question about uh, cremation. No identity is preserved in the resurrection, though not the same particles of matter, but substance that went into the grave. Okay, Corey has another question. <laughs> Would we would we still look like our family members? Cause like we tend to look like those we are related to. So yeah. would we still look like our family members, or would we just all look different? Well, when you look at your grandma, is that what you call your her, your grandma or granny or nana? When you look at her, how do you know it's her? I don't know. I was told that was her. <laughs> <laughs> I was told this is your grandma. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> just believed it. Exactly. I uh, believed what I was told. Okay, but if if she walked 
was in a store and you were told to go find her, could you find her? Um, depends. Are there cardboard cutouts of her somewhere? <laughs> or you gotta remember who you're talking to, Lee. Yeah, for real. I'm at the really uh, make a compound <laughs> sentence, huh? Give yeah. them all the yes. give them all the outline. Uh-huh. But you wouldn't you would find her because you know what she looks like, you know what she sounds like, you know how she acts, and when Jesus resurrects all the people who have passed away, uh, they'll still look like themselves. And we'll still recognize their voice and we'll still say, oh, that's so-and-so, my buddy. Yeah. Wait, so you said we're still going to look like ourselves? We'll still be recognized by our family and friends, yeah. But that's different than looking like ourselves, though. We might have the same voice. We might have. The, we'll have the same mannerisms. We'll have the same personalities. Yeah, absent sin. Would we look like ourselves though? Well, it says we'll look like ourselves, but we'll be free from disease and deformity and every defect that sin caused. Isn't the answer yes? We will look like ourselves, except for we'll be perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. But I thought we. I thought like the entire human composition was imperfect. No, we're shaped, we are, are made in the image of God. Yeah, but you said we've been deteriorating from that image. So, wouldn't when we Jesus look raises us, he's going to fix all that. But would we look like ourselves? Yes. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll just, look, we'll like look better. We'll be a better looking version of ourselves. When he raises us, I'll be able to know that that's you, Corey. I'll Would say, that remove plastic Corey. surgery and stuff too? <laughs> everything. That's a good one. God's gonna take care of everything. Just believe that. It'll be better than plastic surgery. Exactly. <laughs> it's very interesting. It says there is no law of God in nature, which shows that God gives back the same identical particles of matter which composed the body before death. God should give the righteous dead a body that will please him. So that's something that we can think about. But know this, that God is coming soon and he's going to raise those who have accepted him and those who have kept his kept faith in him as Lord and Savior. And that's the group that we want to be in, right? Amen. Right. Okay, Corey has another question. We'll catch up there next time in that area. What's your other question, Corey? Would we still have to obey the laws of physics and stuff? Like, because our spines contract because of gravity and stuff, would that stuff still happen? It's a good question. Anybody want to attack that one? <laughs> I don't think we will be dealing with gravity like we deal with on the Earth. Well, yeah, but would objects still fall when you drop them? Would physics still apply? Good question, but I know that uh, the prophet says that we'll be able to fly to other worlds, so gravity won't affect us like it does on Earth. But that's I mean, yeah, but what about food. the other stuff? Like, if you throw something, it's going to fall. Well, but like, but like birds fly even in gravity. The gravity, the Earth's gravity pulls. So. Well, yeah, but they technically wouldn't be able to fly in no gravity because. The gravity is the reason that they don't instantly shoot up and die in outer space. 
So we will find out. <laughs> yeah, y'all got y'all work cut out. <laughs> you just now realizing that. <laughs> and there is, you know, the truth is there are some questions we don't have answers for. And the, the Bible says the secret things belong to God. As we had talked about in Sabbath school, that's why we're going to be learning constantly uh, throughout eternity because we'll still have questions about things. Nobody on earth can answer all the questions, but God can answer all of our questions when, uh, when we're with him in heaven and in the earth made new. Are there any special prayer requests we have today? I have an yes. unspoken prayer request okay. that um, an issue that I'm, I'm letting the Lord battle it, but I pray that he, um, that is judged in my favor. Okay. Um, I go ahead and take us off live now. Okay. Uh, Elder uh, Carol, mm -hmm. I have one for uh, Elder Kelly and his wife at Northside. Uh, that God will continue to heal him with the COVID virus. Mm. And I don't know if he's still in the 